You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Accounted For. This is the podcast on a mission to expand your perspectives, have you question the status quo, and get you inspired to action for your own career. The podcast is part of OMD Ventures, my platform to create ecosystems so that high performers are inspired to challenge the conventions. On top of the podcast, the platform has weekly essays, newsletters, and these include my daily learnings from the week. And so if you'd like to be on top of all the other stuff I create, subscribe to the newsletter at omdventures.com slash stakeholders. So I call it stakeholders because you can also further support the platform by donating and the donation comes in the number of coffees you can buy me so you can buy me like a cup of coffee a month a cup of coffee a week etc and this will actually play into this new thing i'm trying out where i'm hoping to engage more with you my listeners and fans and i'm planning to do that by taking questions because i've been starting to get emails and it's given my time constraints it's harder to meet each person Um, in person or even just have a separate phone call dedicated to one person and so for most of these questions I figured I'll actually make separate episodes where I do something like an AMA like an ask me anything and I answer your questions and so right now the idea is to give a special benefit to those who will donate coffees to me and it's literally like you know if you were to take me out to coffee you'd get to ask me questions that's exactly the same thing only now We'll do it online, and once you ask questions, I'll make an episode where I answer them and put it out there, and so you won't just be benefiting yourself, but also the other listeners as well. So there's a bit of helping everybody out with that. So, yeah, check it out, um, and there will be instructions on how you can submit questions, etc. So, yeah, thanks for that support. Okay, so enough about me and the platform. Today's guest is Rob Catalano. He is the co-founder and CEO, CEO standing for Chief Engagement Officer at WorkTango. WorkTango is a HR software company based out of Toronto with a passion to improve work lives. Rob started out his career in the world of traditional marketing for consumer goods companies and quickly got interested in what drove human behavior and the metrics behind that. He became one of the early employees at Achievers, the employee rewards program. And this was not really the master plan. Rob had left the marketing world to start his next venture, but it was a fateful application to a bootstrapped startup he didn't know about at all that propelled him to this 10-year career into the world of HR and changing workplaces. After Achievers was acquired, Rob had the choice of staying on as a C-suite executive with a very cushy compensation package, but he left it all to pursue his passion. He left Achievers with his co-founder to bootstrap what is currently WorkTango, and it's been a four-year journey of building a company with a passion and not a mission. We cover Rob's various inflection points in his journey, making tough but obvious decisions, and what it really means to follow your passion amid this long career that he has. And so I really hope that my chat with Rob expands your perspectives, have you questioned the status quo, and inspires action in your own life. All right, enjoy the conversation.
Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, we have Rob Catalano, Chief Engagement Officer at WorkTango. Hey Rob, thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries, thanks for having me, excited. Yeah, likewise. Um, so to start off with, for the audience members who, are, who may not be familiar with your company, what is WorkTango, what do you guys do, where are you guys based out of? Can you give us a kind of a brief overview of the company? Yeah, so company-wise, we're headquartered in Toronto and Canada. We have uh, an office in Ottawa, an office in Denmark, uh, but we operate with you know with companies in 70 different countries around the world. So even though we're only three offices in three cities, uh, we do work globally. But uh, to give a little context of what we do, I usually like starting with what the problem typically was for organizations. So everyone that's listening is probably in some capacity have taken an engagement survey as an employee, give their feedback to the organization. And for, you know, 100 years when companies did this, it was annually based. It, you know, it took a long time to get the insights from a vendor, maybe months by the time it sat in HR and they gave it to the hands of leaders that people can actually do something about it. It was another month or two, uh, and that's how companies typically did it. So WorkTango was built to help make that a more real-time and agile process in companies. So we help companies hear the voice of their employees uh, for any purpose, whether it's engagement or getting feedback on you know, sentiment around inclusion in the workplace or major change management, etc. Uh, we get that insight in real time, um, so no waiting for information from vendors um, in a quantitative way, but also qualitatively to see themes and sentiments on what employee feedback is. So it's just a lot easier way to get that information, uh, but also put it into the hands of the right people. So not just HR if you don't want it to, but you can put it in the hands of hundreds or thousands of leaders just for feedback for their teams or their departments. So that idea is how do we hear the voice of employees and help organizations more agile, adjust and build a better experience to, at the end of the day, build engagement. And we all know what that does to the bottom line and the, the, the impact on customers. Right. And so if, if I was in... Uh, let's say I was, I was back in my old like consulting firm and we implemented WorkTango. Would I have like a separate kind of icon that I go to? Or, like, Do I just go to WorkTango's website and I'm just periodically filling in feedback? If, if I wanted to give a manager of mine feedback after a project, I'll just go there on my own will and do it? Or is there some kind of protocol that I would follow? Yeah, typically companies define how they want to set the cadence. So some companies still might do once a quarter or even some once a year, maybe the large municipalities. But other companies we work with every week, two weeks, they're prompting you to get feedback. And then what happens is now you're more accountable for that. You get the trends in real time. Um, but it would be something that would prompt into your email box or text. Um, uh, or again, if you're, you know, you're not you're an employee that doesn't have access to those. There's other methodologies we can we can use as well. But it's something where you can either go to or you're prompted to provide that feedback on really on any device. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when I introduced you, I introduced you as the title of the Chief Engagement Officer, which would be shortened to the acronym it's CEO. But instead of Chief Executive Officer, you call yourself the Engagement Officer. What is the philosophy behind that? Yeah, well, if you think about... Um, business in general, right? Most companies talk about shareholder value and profitability. That's the most important thing. And that's what they talk about. And then the next thing is all about the customer and why they're important and how companies have to focus on that. And then employees are usually the third in that loop. But when you start seeing what successful companies do is employees become number one, right? If we focus on employees, they conduct the right behaviors, build the better products, better service. That's going to build really great customer satisfaction. Right, and loyalty. And once you get that, that's when you start getting shareholder value go through the roof, right? It's a service profit chain and successful companies like Southwest Airlines is very adamant about that process. And in a really poor market, they've been pretty successful. Uh, and the idea and the whole title was that 
as a leader in the organization, my number one role is to make sure that employees are engaged, right? Blocking and tackling, making sure that they don't have barriers to success, understanding what makes them tick. Because if we can build an environment of really passionate people that are engaged at the end of the day, I know that's going to impact our customers and our bottom line in a much better way than just focusing on what decisions are we going to make here to make money. Nice. And so I'm going to take this back to maybe the much earlier part of um, your own journey where maybe try to get an idea of how did this all kind of stream about this focus on people and this love for creating, you know, improving work lives. You've, you know, in your life, you've lived in the UK, you've lived in San Fran, you've lived in Toronto, and your company currently serves companies all over the world. Did you grow up in Toronto or did you grow up somewhere else? Like, I know your background's Italian. <laughs> yeah, my, my parents were born in Italy, but I grew up in Toronto, literally not too far from Jane and Finch. Um, spent 30 days at home, 30 years at home, just like a good Italian boy does. Uh, and then moved out with our my last uh, kind of tech and startup company to San Francisco in the UK. Um, but that was kind of the journey from a, you know, uh, where I lived. But the journey really started in marketing, right? It's interesting. I spent what, 18 years now building HR technology companies and consulting, you know, advising and advising in that world, but I don't come from an HR background. And people always ask, like, where did this all start? But uh, literally studied marketing, worked in marketing agencies back in the day. Uh, and, and literally when I started into, you know, this whole marketing space, it was fascinating, right? Why do people buy? What motivates them? Why, why are you tied to a brand and wear it on your sleeve? And then I got to the workplace and I was like, who really gives a shit about that? Like what I, what's really fascinating is why do people come to work and work harder and are tied to the organization and why are they passionate about what the company's doing? And it was way more interesting than why you would buy a certain brand of shoes. Mm. So for me, all the same concepts of marketing, even things like analytics, like the analytics you were getting on your customers, that really started prompting the uh, you know a lot of what I did you know since then, which is with with Achievers, is the Toronto company in HR technology, and that grew to about you know three four hundred employees before uh, it got bought. And the big reason why we started Work Tango, right? Still passionate about the HR space, but it came from a marketing consumer lens. Um, so I always say I'm not an HR guy, but super passionate about it. And uh, um, you know, and most of the talks I do or places I speak is with an HR lens, um, but it, uh, it's not where I started. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the reason why I got so attracted to uh, your journey was because I felt this kind of kinship where I come from, from this very weird like, professional service world doing accounting and finance, and now I'm obsessed with people, and pe- people still get very confused when I try to tell them this is what I'm trying to do. And so for you, like your journey started out in Ryerson. I think you studied yeah. marketing there, and then you, I think while you were in school, you still worked for um, a marketing agency, Match. Match marketing? Match marketing, yeah. yeah. And so you worked there and then you joined Achievers afterwards. And so was was it during Match, your time at Match that you started kind of thinking and seeing this kind of shift in mindset in yourself internally about like looking at, you know, the consumer patterns and thinking, hmm, can I imp- translate this into the workplace? I, I wish I could say I was smart back then. It did not happen that way. Like literally I was, when you're working, when you're in marketing and you're working for an agency, at the end of the day, you're working for the customer's brand. So you can come up with ideas, you can execute, but it's not your decision on what route that brand goes or where the budget goes at the end of the day. So literally being still, you know, two years out of school thinking I knew everything, I'm like, you know, screw the agency world, I'm gonna go work for a company and own a brand. 
So I left the agency world. I think it was a match for, oh my gosh, 60 years in and off like during school and then said, okay, I'm going to find my next career. And, and I never wanted to work for a big company because after sitting in large organizations as like a, as an agency, I just didn't like the speed of it. And so I'm like, I'm going to find that next cool, small, you know, medium-sized company and own marketing there. Uh, and I'm like, I'll get this random job to pay the bills um, until I find that. And I lived at home. I didn't have that many bills. But I mean, still, you know, to still live a you know, fun life and travel. And that's where I landed in this little company called Snap Promotions back at the day that actually turned into I Love Rewards, that actually turned into Achievers. And there was just this handful of very small group of people that was on this journey, shifting the concepts of you know, rewards and recognition to a new light. And that's where I was in a new workplace saying, wow, there's something here, right? Oh, wow. So yeah. then when you didn't really intentionally go out to find a company like Achievers and say, this no. is the place I'm going to join you. This was supposed to be more like a side gig while you still built like thought on the idea of like, what, what mid-sized company do I want to join? Yeah. I was like, let me just, cause I took a summer off when you're, when you're a marketing agency, you don't get summers, right? You run around work 90 hour weeks. And I did all that. And I'm like, I'm going to take a summer off, hang out at the pool after two months. I'm like, let me just get a job. Like, I don't want to be you know lazy. I should actually do something. And, and literally that's when I just landed a job literally to wait. And at that time I was actually debating moving to Vancouver and I was like, I'll just do something until I make a decision. But once we were there for a couple of months, it was like, wow, look at this, like this concept of focusing on the workplace. I mean, very different. Think about, you know, 2005, right? Companies didn't have all this focus on people in, in Toronto. We were very unique at Achievers with all the unique people things we were doing. And, um, and that's where it really all started was this motivation to say, this is way more important than, you know, selling products to people. Mm. And leaving that agency world after two years and even taking a summer off I've, like if i were to think back to like my time is two years out of school but my friends and I, like, I think my peer group there's this kind of impression that if you take any kind of time off if you don't uh you know climb the career ladder that everything's gonna end you're gonna be left behind how did what was your thought process then like on you know taking the time off leaving this big corporate world to not join another bigger corporate entity but you know think about it take your time and all that yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing is I never started a company until three years ago. Like I was an early employee at Achievers and I never had that entrepreneurial thing where I'm like, I need to start a company. And that was deferring me or sorry, delaying me to go to a big company. But there were a couple of things. One was, like I said, I had the experience of being in it with the agency world of seeing the politics and just things I didn't really like at the end of the day. Um, but what I also saw was all my friends that left school that went to the you know, the big consulting firms or the accounting firms was like, all right, this is my nine year plan and I can, I have to climb the ladder and do this for two and do this or in the legal world, I have to do my articling. And I was like, you know what, like that's not motivating to me. And what's really cool about the kind of startup experience I got back at, you know, I guess what became Achievers was you go in and you wear multiple hats. You learn what you love. You learn what you don't. I led marketing for many years there. I didn't even start in marketing. We didn't even have a marketing department. We were so small. And I was able to put on my hand and say, I want to try that. I'm interested in that. So it allowed me, I didn't want to go to the big firm that was going to put me on a track. I was like, let me go somewhere where I can do a lot of things and understand what I love or what I'm passionate about. Um, so it was a bit of a different journey. I'd love to say I was like, yes, I thought HR technology was where it's at. And I went to the company that was going to be the best. And uh, I mean, in some ways I got really lucky, uh, but, uh, but I, you know, I knew what I didn't want. 
Yeah, and well, you've been you've been at Achievers for close to like a decade, I think, by the time you left. And so, even staying at one company for ten years is quite a long time for I think most people. And I'm wondering throughout that period, like you started from like the early days, like one of like the founding employees of the company, as you kind of um, wrote in like your own profile. What kind of kind of systems did you build in your in your kind of journey to, I think I would say like allow you to kind of get to this point of continued growth and to this point of deciding to like you know leave and start your own company like what kind of systems did you have so an example like i'd give like so for me personally like when i i started thinking about like creating systems in my own career and being very purposeful purposeful about my own growth when i was in consulting and like i i learned to um you know ask for forgiveness not permission when i'd be doing things and i think and you've also mentioned this in one of your own interviews as like an advice that you'd give to other people as well but i'm wondering what kind of systems did you have and what kind of like philosophy were you like developing while you were going through this 10-year journey yeah i mean you know changing from marketing to you know customer success or other things i was doing i think one of the things was just follow what you're passionate about right like at the end of the day you know if you're not happy or feel like you're you're doing something above and beyond just your role and a salary. I think that was one thing I always told myself. You know, we got bought by a larger company, the Achievers. I could have had the opportunity on taking really safe, high-paid jobs on other places, and but it wasn't as passionate to work with you know that company or other ones that I was getting offers. I was more passionate to start Work Tango because that's again it was something that you know we actually when we built the company we said we don't have a mission because missions end. We have a lifelong passion to improve work lives. So that's one thing where I always told myself where, you know, uh, I want to make sure I'm in that state of mind in everything I do. In terms of other systems, one thing I think we did really well, and even, you know, even at Achievers at the company was we didn't have, you know, performance management standard processes like other organizations had. Um, What we did is we learned from a book called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, Vern Harnish. And he talked about these concepts of what made, you know, companies great and growing. And one simple idea was this concept of top fives. And it was like, how do you identify the top five things you're going to prioritize as a department, as an individual, every single week? Because in anyone's been in a high growth company, <laughs> things change, right? Like it's, it's chaos sometimes. And, and I, maybe I just like that chaos, but it was always this thing to prioritize. I mean, for what, 16 years now, every morning I start with what's the top five things I'm going to do today? Uh, what are the top five things I want to accomplish this week? And then also I have a monthly one as well. And then I think that, you know, we instill that into the minds of, you know, the departments and different team members, but that's something I still do and, and it's helped me stay focused. Can you share a little more about what other kind of stuff you have in your own personal system that you've maybe tacked on or things that you've continued doing for a long time on top of like the top five? Yeah. So um, one other thing I've also done is always looking at a different perspective. So I'm always open to have a, I always say it costs nothing to listen. So if someone reaches out to me, actually just yesterday I was having coffee with a woman who just moved to Canada after being, in, you know, she's been only been in Canada for three months after living in India and all her life, was an HR specialist there and wanted to just talk to someone in the space. I always make room for those people, but I always reach out at least once a month to talk to someone else because it's a different perspective. It gets out of the heads down and working all the time. It allows you to just chat and be creative. So those are some of the things that I've done as well. Um, and the other thing I did was just make time for me. Like, I mean, can't beat around the bush. It's it's a lot of work working in high growth companies. It's hard to find like time for yourself. So little things, right? Like finding time to lie on the couch 10 minutes a day and play guitar 
or just the little things that kind of separate yourself. I, I tried the meditation thing. I sucked at it. I know it's not about that. I'm, I'm trying to get into it. But, I, you know, little things that I could control a little easier. Um, but just thinking about yourself as well, because guess what? The work's not going to end. You know, there's always going to be something to do. And you'll get burned up pretty quickly if you don't take some time. And I think just to kind of add on to that, uh, it's funny. Like yesterday, so I had, I had a conversation with an entrepreneur who is based out of Vancouver. And... He asked me a question on um, just kind of training I do because I go to the gym like six times a week. And he was asking, oh, do you like going to the gym because you get to empty your mind and not think about work? And I told him, well, actually, I get I get in my most creative self when I'm actually at the gym. Like I bring a notebook with me because I have so many business ideas that nice. come up while I'm lifting. And so I have all these like ideas I, I just have. I just fill my notebook with after by the time a gym session ends and then I cannot execute on them when I'm actually at work again. And so I think these kinds of personal space that you create to try to create this kind of forced like white space can actually work really well to the overall goal as well. And, and you don't really have to, you know, forcibly sit down and say that I'm working because I'm sitting at my desk looking at my computer. It's just, you can find other ways to really contribute to the whole journey. Yeah, like I, so many great ideas come when you're just not under the stress of work and you're either just sitting on a patio or just relaxing. Um, and the one thing I failed to mention is I have historically the last kind of two decades now usually spend the 6 to 8 a.m. for me, right? And whether that is the gym or whether that is catching up on things, whether that is just reading or watching the sport, doing something that I like to do that isn't work-oriented, Um I've always kind of maintained that. I know there's a bunch of articles on like, oh, it's bullshit to stay awake up at four and you don't need to do that. And I mean, maybe four is a little early, but um, I always found it's hard. No one's going to find you between six and eight, <laughs> like typically um, other time zones, maybe. But uh, that's a lot easier to carve time for yourself than five to seven where things happen. Things get extended at work. People need things. I mean, you're exhausted at the end of the day and you just want to do nothing. Um, but uh, that's that's something I've always done to carve out that time. Yeah, I, and as someone like I, I used to do four thirty every morning when I was in consulting, oh, really? <laughs> and so I, I wrote an, uh, one of my first blog posts ever was on doing that um, for like a good chunk of time, and that made me famous among my friends as the person who wakes up at four thirty. And every time I catch up with an old, old colleague, I was like, "Do you still wake up at four I thought, I thought, "No, like that was I had to then because I had no control over my life after I entered." The office because in consulting you can work till midnight and you don't know until the day of that you'll be there until midnight so i had to wake up at 4 30 but nowadays i don't i tell them <laughs> yeah like i now i'll wake up at like seven but i do something similar like you were i found that for me a two-hour creativity block is perfect for me where it's i either write read or think for just for two hours and that's done wonders for me like as one of the first things in the morning right after my morning journaling and yeah, I think there definitely is something to be said about that, that um, focus time block, even if it's not working, it's something for you, like actually investing in yourself and your own growth. Yeah. And so it's something that I noticed though, like from two very like specific things is the fact that you call yourself a chief engagement officer instead of chief executive officer, but also when you go to like your company website, as well as when you uh, just spoke about it as well, about how you have a passion, not a mission, because missions end. It seems like there, like, it might be, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I feel like you, you have this kind of particularization about the words that you choose to use. And I'm, I'm curious, like, is that something that you've always been very cognizant of, like being very purposeful about specific words and what it means to you? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think you hit the nail the nail on the head with that word purpose, right? Like I think that's the way I think about the workplace, right? If you want to, like, you're gonna stay at a place if you find there's a higher purpose. You're there for more than a paycheck. I don't want to bring up Maslow and the stuff we learned in HR one hundred and one, but there is truth to that, right? If you don't feel like if you can pay your bills and you don't feel like you're gonna lose your job tomorrow, like the security part of it, there's other things that motivate you to be at work. So, so I've always been, I've always thought about that higher purpose and, and yeah, how do you use words to try and draw people's attention to that? And maybe that's the marketer in me, whether it's you use certain words or combinations of them to capture attention. Um, you know, I, and sometimes it can be construed as it's a marketing tactic, but you know, even things like our passion or chief engagement officer, those types of things, those are just ways to help us reinforce what's important. Um, and I think those words do matter, you know, and I didn't come up with this, but even back at Achievers, they named the HR department employee success. Like think of how, you know, instead of just calling your humans resources, which, you know, were more than that, um, employee success was, that was what the purpose of that department was, right? How do you create a successful experience for employees in the workplace? So I do think words definitely, definitely matter and, and try to, you know, infuse that and even little things, right? Like. We have a daily tango at uh, at our company every single day for you know for eleven minutes, and you know we could call it the meeting, but it's always fun to brand things to to remember them at the end of the day. Do you do you, uh, do you tango? Like, do you actually compete in tango? No, I've never tangoed in my life. <laughs> I, I've tried salsa, but it's uh, okay. it, it failed miserably. <laughs> so why why, uh, why is a company called Work Tango? Good question. So uh, it was funny. I'll never. I actually wrote a blog about this too, and. Uh, when my co-founder and I, who were both, we both spent the kind of 10, 11 years at Achievers. When we started the company, we were actually living in different countries. I was in the UK and he was in San Francisco. And I was back in San Francisco one day. We you know, had the idea of the company. We're sitting at this cafe on Third Street. And uh, I threw this, um, this, this, basically this spreadsheet at him with uh, like 12 or I think it was probably 20 different um, words or items, what we could call the company. Actually, I think I put the picture on that blog. You should take a look at. Okay. And uh, and secretly, I liked Work Tango, and that's the one he chose. Um, but the the idea around it was one is if you think about what work should be, it should be something you're passionate about. It should be something you're in sync. Like you want to be in sync with employees. And if you think about the tango, it's a passionate dance. Um, you can only succeed if you're in sync with your partner. So those two concepts really is where work tango came from mm-hmm. uh, and the first people we told hated it and told us we should change it and we couldn't get the url uh, but we loved it for the concept around it and we said we're gonna stick it through and uh yeah we're you know, still work tango today nice and so you know you you met your co-founder i think 16 years ago or so like it was in 05 yeah yeah and so um, but you, in the beginning, you said that you didn't really have this kind of entrepreneurial bug when you first you know, joined Achievers. When did that start kind of festering up, this idea of starting your own company? And how how long until like you know you decided to sit down with your co-founder and say, you want to start a company together? Should we should we build something? And like, what was like the first idea then? <laughs> yeah, it's actually like I never really reflected on it that much. But even though it wasn't start companies, I always did things to bring people together, whether it's run events or even now pub crawls like you name it like it was always about like doing something and being the you know uh, 
kind of the aggressor and trying to like start something. Um, and, but it, you know, it was never about, to your point about building a company that wasn't the initial part of what I wanted to do. But after, you know, after working at Achievers for 10 years and seeing what passionate people can do, getting a lot of inspiration from the leadership there, um, seeing it can be done. Obviously when you, when you see it once, it's obviously gives you a little bit of confidence and when you're a part of it, that helps. So I think, you know, once, and, and again, knowing what, you know, knowing from that experience, what I wanted for myself was why not try? Like, what was the worst that can happen? I like, I have to find a job and you know, that's not the worst thing, right? I, like I hope I can get a job somewhere. I might be looking for a job in a couple of years. If someone's hiring, let me know. But, um, but the idea was I would have regretted not trying. Um, so, you know, it was the same, it was just that conversation with, you know, with Nada. It was, listen, this is what we're passionate about. We've been in HR tech before. Uh, we're not there anymore. Do we want to extend that, you know, that passion and, uh, and fix a problem? Um, and that was just alignment on day one. And we built a bunch of MVPs. We figured out what people liked, what they didn't, learned through the process. And then, you know, then we find ourselves here today. But it was, uh, it, again, it goes back to that passion thing. We both wanted to do something that had a higher purpose than just having a job, but also doing something better for the workplace. And that's where we both landed and, and everything kind of falls into place from there. And so was it, was it a very well thought out uh, plan where you went through all these MVPs and then you guys just said, okay, now we, we have an idea. Uh, we have a proof of concept. We know how this company is going to look. Let's all quit together this day, and then we're going to do execute X, Y, Z. Was it like that, or how? How did that uh, period go about? No, no, we were like packaged out of achievers. We literally didn't have jobs. Uh, I was doing consulting with them and with other companies. He was doing some stuff on the side. So it, well, there was no like you know, wonderful master plan, um, and you know, and even the MVPs. Right, we built a couple of different products with the manager in the center of everything. Like one was better one-on-one -on -one conversations with leaders. One was agile performance management, like not getting out of this annual goal setting. And because again, no one does anything different when they're not accountable <laughs> for a year later and even the employee voice stuff. And, you know, we navigated through it. We didn't know what success was going to be. And it's, it's that true concept of MVP Just throw things out there, right? You're going to learn a lot more than trying to build the most perfect product. So, you know, it, it, you know, it was not well scripted and planned and exactly what we thought we were going to do. We know we spent a year and a half before we put a product into market, um, you know, a lot of up and down and learning. Um, but uh, I'd love to sit here today and say it was all <laughs> all scripted, but oh my gosh, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I think that, so like, you know, you, right now you've uh, been at Rotango, I think close to four years, right? Is it like October, which is like the four year mark? Yeah, or? October. And so, but it, you know, you've been at Achievers for 10 years. You've it helped that company grow to like three, four hundred people. It got acquired, and I think in our first conversation you mentioned how yeah, like I you know you had the opportunity to maybe be like the the chief marketing officer at Achievers even after it got acquired, have an amazing salary and compensation and all that, but to put it all to the side and start a company that you've also bootstrapped. It's not even venture funded. What like can can you take me through like the mentality then like what. What was going through your head then? What was going through the support group that you had around you? Like, was everyone pretty supportive of the decision you were making after 10 years at this place? And, you know, putting aside this C-suite level, you know, title and like opportunity there and choosing to go into the unknown that way? My parents still don't understand. Um, no, it, you know what? I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm really lucky. I surround myself with people that, you know, are willing to be supportive of, of different things that I choose to do. And, um, you know, no one was really saying it's not a great idea. And, 
I don't know if that would have dissuaded me other way anyways, but um, yeah, it was just, uh, it, it, it was the right thing to do, right? It was, um, and again, what's the worst that can happen? We failed and we, we did something else or found another job. Now, you know, we're, we were pretty lucky to be able to get some funds from the whole Achiever sale to not have to worry about starving, you know, for the first year of that world. You know, that being said, you know, weren't pulling salaries for a long time and that's a change in your lifestyle and something you need to be willing to do. Um, and yeah, even to now we're bootstrapped, you know, and, and we always have to make that consideration. Do we want to raise capital and really accelerate, um, you know, especially in our market, it's really hot. It's, there's a lot of things moving. Two of our competitors were recently acquired for ridiculous numbers of, you know, uh, amount of money. Um, so, you know, we always have to talk about those decisions, but we also have to talk about when you make those decisions, what impact does it have on the company and the people? Right. Like we, we went through raising capital and having investors in our last organization and it changes things um, for sure. Uh, and, you know, but there's really there's a lot of pros to being able to accelerate and, and the added Rolodex and smart people in your, by your side. So, you know, we there was a lot of put it this way. It doesn't matter where you're starting the company or whether you're a year in or four years in. There's always going to be these pivotal decisions that need to be made um, and just trying to give a lot of thought to, to what that looks like. Um, and what you want the outcomes to be. And it gets back to a question I always get asked too, right? Like, what's the goal? Sell the company? I was like, no, like if you're building a company to sell it, then you're not doing the things that your customers will find value in, right? You're making short-term decisions to have your books look good so that you can <laughs> sell a company. And we've always been focused on saying, listen, if that ever happened, it, it would happen. That's fine. But our focus is not doing that. Our focus is building a great company of passionate individual employees customers that love their experience the rest of that stuff will happen if it, if it you know if we choose it to happen um but you never want that to be the focus you make wrong short-term decisions yeah and i totally agree with always having the the long-term perspective in mind whether it's in investing or building a company or even in a career in any kind of aspect in life in general but <laughs> we might be running out of money in six months right. and you're like oh my god we gotta raise but uh you know the reality is you know is your reality so you need to kind of figure out where you are at, at that moment in time but you know it, like i said never build a company to flip it is kind of the way i view the world yeah no I, to I totally agree with you on that one and but so you you said how like you didn't launch a product until like a year and a half and so you know, you're going this entire period without paying yourself a salary and uh I can only imagine that there's you know, constant turmoil or volatility even in a, in a day, in a week, in a month, in your mental state and like the business in general. But what were there kind of particular inflection points that gave you and like your team confidence that I think we're onto something, I think this is going to work to continue to push on? Yeah, I mean, you know, we were really lucky early on to get a partnership that helped us um, do a couple of things, accelerate, you know, growth from a sales standpoint, uh, accelerate the uh, our product based on what that partner was doing in their past. Um, uh, and they built a similar product and we had a lot of learnings on that. So that was one pivotal thing where we, we ended up building a partnership with a, with a large organization that helped us get to another level and add a lot of credibility, right? When you're, you know, we provide advisory services and technology to, yeah, small companies, medium-sized companies, but also large global organizations, large brands, um, that credibility really helped. Um, so that's probably one of the bigger ones. And then I always say, when it comes to the key leaders we have here, those are pivotal moments as well. You make good hires, that's gonna help accelerate the company. 
we always talked about this uh, back at Achiever, start with who, then what, right? If you find the right people and you can afford them, <laughs> we can't just hire all the who's, you know, as a, as a bootstrap company, but um, the people make the difference, right? Um, and if and that's where I find every time we make those decisions and we haven't made the right ones all the time, but when you do, you know, and it's like, yes, we need more of those folks. Yeah, I think in one, one past interview that you, uh, you said, hire slow, fire fast. That was like the learning that you had. And it's, so is there, is there like a particular example or um, past instance that helped you kind of realize that learning of like the, the difficulty of not firing fast or maybe hiring too fast? I mean, it's, it's every example. Like it never gets easier, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're finding an individual is just not there yet or not passionate or I mean yeah you could do a little bit of the upsell or the training etc and or throw more money at them that I think I find they're all sugar rushes but like at the end of the day if you in your heart especially as a leader feel like this person isn't at the next level or they're just not exuding that passion delaying it just makes it get worse Mm -hmm. so that's what I found I've made mistakes where I've just delayed it delayed it never got better um and even and not like not without trying or whether it is having that conversation upskilling where required etc but yeah, I find in all situations, like it just didn't seem to get better. And it's, it's probably better for both parties, right? Like where do you, how do we both find happiness elsewhere? <laughs> that person with another role and us with finding someone else that's, you know, that's going to fit that role a little better. And it's, when I first, um, you know, you hear, you hear a lot of leaders say, you know, the, the importance of hiring right and also like firing fast when it's not a fit. But I think as I've also been on my journey and also gone to speak with more entrepreneurs, I've learned to appreciate that it's probably a really hard decision to fire someone, especially when you are a smaller company where it's extremely personal. I, like, I personally believe all business is personal, but I think at that level, where it's, if, it's, if you're not like a thousand person organization where someone at the top can say fire X amount of people and they get fired, like it can be that. But at a smaller company, I think it would be just so personal that to even let go of someone Oh, it, it sucks. Like it sucks when you're ten. It sucks when you're hundred. It sucks when you're a thousand. Like it, it's there's never a, it's never an easy conversations. I've been in situations where companies aggressively grown and then had to lay off ten twenty percent of the company, and then and that's not even like has nothing to do with people's performance, right? That's even harder, right? Um, so it's it, it's it's a shitty discussion no matter what, and you never like you obviously you never hire someone with the intention of that being the outcome. Um, but I find if you're, you know, if the discussions and conversations are more open, then it's a lot easier to come to that, you know, agreement a lot, you know, easier, a lot earlier than just making a call of cutting someone. Hmm. Um, and I've always been a big fan of like, yeah, whatever we can do, whether that's make the introduction be a reference, like, in, in, you know, any way that we can help in those situations, you do. But, oh, it sucks. I dread it. Like, no, I don't think anyone likes it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like I... I think like I even think about like how like I'll even if I have this like a physiotherapist or I have like a powerlifting coach, even if I think about mm, they're not really pulling their weight in this manner or X manner, like even like choosing not to go back to them, like it, it's hard. Like for me, like I I might be maybe too like soft and naive in that aspect, but like when I think about that, like oh, I can't I can't even like say no to my Cairo. So <laughs> I wonder how 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 much harder it would be to like let go of someone that you've been working with. And, and sometimes like it's 
And what's even harder, I find, is people leaving, right? Them choosing to not wanting this to be the place or, you know, whatever company you're at. And, but that happens in high growth companies, right? Usually what happens is you have a bunch of people that are really good at doing a lot of things, right? They, they wear multiple hats. They're kind of the jack of all trades. But as you grow, then you start hiring people who have done it before, experienced, and event, in you know, most cases, it's over the heads of those folks that were doing those things today. And, and, and my mentality is like, let's say we landed a bunch of clients or raised a bunch of money tomorrow. We need to hire people that don't have to learn. Like they have to hit the ground running, building, building on their experiences. Yeah, they can learn the product, et cetera. But, you know, it's like the hire we made and we opened an auto office and hired a head of sales and marketing. Came from a competitor, knew the space, has built this engine before four or five times. It's like we're a high growth company. I don't have time. We can't just have someone learn on the job. And what happens in those cases, you hire those folks and the people under them feel like they're being hired over and they choose to leave. So there's situations that are going to happen. People are going to leave. I'd love to have 100% retention you know, every day, all day. Um, but that's when I get more worried when people are choosing to you know, find happiness elsewhere. Um, and you know, luckily, it's only happened once in our history here. Uh, and, you know, and she was great. She wanted to move to Spain to you know, teach English and kind of a passion of hers. And I don't know how you... Uh, you know how you compete against that but um but you know that's one thing you know what is my role it's make sure the team's engaged here and we're building you know building something great and everyone feels like they're a part of it mm. i also want to uh, touch back on the the first big uh, partnership the pivotal partnership it's, there's a bit of a self-indulgent selfish aspect here because as i as i've told you before as i'm trying to build up my own advisors advisory service i'm trying to find and get that first partnership what was your process like in getting that first kind of big client? Um, what was the experience, like the big learnings, and like how did the process go the way you want expected it to, and how did it not go the way you expected it to? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't something we were out there looking for. I mean, the quick story is I literally was speaking at an event about our journey and our product. Someone that worked at that company said, oh, that looks kind of cool. We built that and been using that internally for three years, but... Yours looks a little more robust. And long story short, they ended up, you know, using ours, ending the life of theirs and moving customers on, you know, onto the Worktango platform. Um, so that was kind of a, we weren't searching for that. It was a nice kind of, you know, uh, nice thing that happened early stage. Um, but also those partnerships don't always go, you know, the way you think they might go, right? Like, you know, we weren't a giant company. How do you start building financial models and risk from a small, big company to a small one? So, you know, there weren't any really financial components to that partnership. It was really more of kind of a, you know, handshake, we'll support each other, refer business, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I, you know, again, it, that it's that relationship continues to be the same and really fruitful and we're, we find a lot of value in it, even if there's no financial ties on either side. Um, so, it, you know, it, again, it's, I always find it's back to that point earlier, it costs nothing to listen. I'd have that discussion, have that conversation. You never know what's going to come from it. Mm. And so then when you actually go out now, when you actually start looking to bring a customer on board to like the Wartango platform and onboard them, what's the discussion like? Like, it's, um, I, I just don't think it's like, uh, I don't imagine it's like some kind of service where you just pay, you subscribe, and it's <laughs> done, and you just follow these instructions. I'm imagining that there's actually like a longer kind of multiple iterations of conversations where you talk about what what do you need what can we do for you and all like what's that process like for you yeah 
So, I mean, typically starts with people identifying their problem, right? And their problem might be, hey, we're working with a huge consulting firm. We're paying so much money, but we're not getting a lot of value or it's taking forever to get our feedback. Um, Two, we do this ourselves. Like we have people who are sending out getting feedback from employees, spending 30 hours in Excel magicianry to figure out the results and the trends, and then another 30 hours sending it to executives and leaders and we just don't have 60 hours a month to do manual work. Um, so there's those parts where there's people that clearly have issues or problems and they're trying to better that experience. And then it usually starts off with the demo, right? People are like, okay, let's have a conversation. So they reach out. Someone on our team will walk them through what our advisory services are, what the platform is, and understand here's what we provide. Basically, at the end of the day, it's this kind of a show and tell of this is the value we could provide you, first by understanding their needs. Some small companies, it could literally, they could, that yes, is exactly what we need and sign a deal tomorrow. Like there's been times it's come in and less than a week you're bringing on a new customer. When you start getting medium and large, it might be a second, a third, a fourth demo with the, you know, the rest of the HR team or the executive team or anyone else involved. Um, sometimes they're large RFPs where they take, you know, three months of RFPs and procurement and, you know, I've, we just landed a bank in the U.S. that it was nine months since we had the first discussion. So there's always outliers and everything's a little different. But usually the process is, you know, it's that first conversation. You're meeting usually with other stakeholders in the business, especially for medium and large organizations. Uh, and then, you know, they're probably looking at other, you know, other competitors or vendors as well. And then they make a decision. Then you go through contract and procurement. And for us, it's not a huge you know, contractual thing. Like we're not, uh, you know... Uh, it's not a complicated kind of process to, to work with us, um, which is nice and it helps onboard things faster. But, um, but that's kind of the process and, and the typical one, just the timing has been depending on the size of the company. And do you find that there's a kind of a pattern of certain kind of leaders or companies that uh, empirically know that this is the kind of product that they want or that they need to help the company get better? Or do you find that um, you just have to spend a lot of time convincing people in the early onset, or do you only, or do you find that rather you actually work with people who don't really need much convincing? They already empirically know. Yeah, all the people always ask me what you know, what what's your perfect customer and what industries, and I was like, companies that care about their people, right? Like in most cases, they're doing something like this, mm-hmm. whether it is with a high-priced consulting firm or whether they're doing themselves, but they're spending a lot of their time, right? And for us, it's typically a budget move. It's not having to find new budget for. So we're not having to do much convincing. The only convincing is, hey, why work Tango versus someone else in some cases. But we're lucky in that way. But, you know, I, we've been in the experience back, you know, back in Achievers days where a recognition platform, like, what is that? Like, you're trying to, like, sell people on a new concept, which is a little bit different. Um, so we're lucky in that round where... Um, these are people that are already listening or wanting to. We're just uh, kind of a better technology and advisory system to do that. And, and in, in terms of, I think, the experience that you've had now building up WorkTangle personally as an entrepreneur and the kind of things that you might even maybe see in your client side, something funny that I, I read in one of your past interviews is um, it's very related to the investing world. So in investing, I think it might have been Buffett or Mark, Charlie Munger who, talk, who said, uh, your competitive advantage is a living organism. It either grows or shrinks every day. And you you made that comment about trust where you have to build trust or if it'll erode and it's a constant moving thing back and forth. There's no like stat, static zero point for trust. 
what what have you done or what have you seen work best in terms of building trust and conversely what is something like you a process that you implemented that you thought would build trust but it didn't really have as big of an impact that you thought it would oh wow okay let me think um well one thing you know and this is the the challenge with any vendor right you're providing a service whether that's advisory services for strategy or technology and things are not always going to go perfect right even every technology has a bug or something right so i think part of the the idea is how do you make sure that there's just open lines of communication and one of the kind of big value sets here is being focused on the success of our customers so we invest a lot of time in the the team to do those things think about like an amazon you can't find anyone you can't call anyone you can't email like you know what i mean it's really hard to get someone like we put chat bots in our platform for people to get to reach out to us in real time whether it's our contact or a thousand of their leaders on the platform so we do whatever we can to be very very customer focused so that's become the dna here our net promoter scores were high 80s in the last two years unheard of for tech companies doesn't matter if you're a client person, a marketing person, a developer, anyone can speak to our customers here. So it's one of those things where we've built that DNA from the ground up, which makes it a lot easier to be very customer focused. So that's kind of one way that we try and build that trust. Because as I mentioned, something's going to go wrong. The platform might go down. There might be a bug. We might advise someone something and it doesn't work. But it's that trust and that relationship where we're always going to be available for you. We're going to do whatever we can to make you love your experience. And I find that really helps from a trust factor. Um, I mean, there's a, I think the numbers around 15 to 20% of our customers have just come from referrals from our current customers, right? So that really helps. It, it's, it's good business, not because we want the referrals. It's just good practice, right? Let's do what we can to support those folks. Um, but in terms of something we've rolled out, uh, you know, I always find that companies like they run referral programs like hey go and if you provide me a customer or someone in referral we'll give you back you know a, a discount on your current product etc and i find like you know what if anyone needs to be incented to refer us then they're doing it for the wrong reasons so we're just we just don't do it we're like you know that was one thing where we rolled out and they were like no at the end of the day if they really we want to get referrals for the right reason so that's the one thing that comes to mind in that question where, you know, maybe it wasn't as a great an idea to start getting customers referring their business to us. <laughs> and then what, what other processes have, what processes have you created internally then inside Rotango to build trust with your own people? And what, what, which ones have you seen work the best compared to ones that weren't as effective maybe? Yeah. So, you know, one thing we do just even physically, like our daily tango every day, every single employee, one of the items is what we call, you know, a red flag. So does anyone need support? Does anyone blocked a customer unhappy, something that's going to impact the business negatively? And customers are a big part of that. Um, and people can bring it up. Hey, I'm stuck and I feel like I can't provide this best service or I, something's not working. And we make sure that we pull whoever needs to be pulled aside immediately after that meeting to have that discussion and remedy it. So it's kind of like the safe space for people to raise their hand and say, listen, I'm stuck or I need help. And that's every single day. So we, we book a half hour for this meeting, but we know the meeting is only going to go 11 to 15 minutes. But the next 15 is just to solve anything that comes up. So that helps build that one. We're making space for it and we're trying to build availability so to be able to help people. 
The other is, I mean, we're a company that helps other organizations get feedback from their employees. So we do a weekly pulse. Every week, our employees provide feedback on how they're feeling. We rotate questions that matter from an engagement level to understand trends of how people feel based on different, you know, again, different drivers. Do they feel recognized? Do they feel tied to our purpose, et cetera? Um, we even do, we do weekly retrospectives as part of that pulse. What went well this week? We celebrate wins. But what didn't? Like, and not just what didn't, but what are we doing differently? So there's always this commitment to make sure employees' voices can be heard. We communicate them as a group, as a team. Everyone is part of deciding not just where they're pissed off. We call it dissatisfaction, but um, reinforcement. Like, what are they going to do about it? So it's kind of instead of workplace dissatisfaction, there's a concept called participative management. So don't, don't just tell me what sucks. What would you do about it? Or what, what like what someone else's suggestion of what they would do about it? So we have these just conversations that are happening that allow that to be better. Now, the problem with that is that's usually group discussion. Like someone might not feel comfortable in that environment. So when we do get these pulses or this information, we're always saying, listen, like talk to your leader. If you're feeling like something's broken, there's an issue, you know, above and beyond, maybe you don't want to communicate in that you know, environment. Um, so there's kind of a confidential component, a discussion component, but then the one-on-one with your leader. Um, so those are a bunch of things that we do and, you know, we, we're going to make mistakes and we realize that we didn't have a way where people can just have more of a confidential way to do it with a discussion with their leader. And we implement that into the process as well. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, those kind of stuff would definitely be impactful. Like, do you, have you found like something where like, when you get feedback on it, the employees keep on saying, this is something we really have to do. Like, was there something that really hit the nail on the head on like a process where you thought, yeah, let's try this. And the feedback was amazing. Or, like, the results were amazing. Like people were super in love with something. A lot of things, right? Everything from, we just moved into an office and like the chair sucked. <laughs> All right, well, let's figure out something. Let's like make it a better experience for people that are sitting, you know, day to day, day in and day out, right? Um, a lot on communication. Like, it's different communicating when you're three employees than when you're nine than when you're 20. So we get feedback on, you know, our, our we do weekly, you know, um, we do our sprints, we do like these recognition moments, we do our goal setting. So we have all these things, but we got feedback that we were over communicating certain things in multiple forums. Like, could we consolidate it? People like the changes that were made. We actually have some now we're talking about on Monday to like figure it out based on the employee feedback. Um, so it really depends. Some of them are really tactical and simple and easy. Some of them might be changing the structure of, you know, um, the communication. The other ones, which are like deeper subjects, we actually do lunch and learns. So good example, you know, there are people here that don't talk to our prospects or customers very often. And they don't even know how they get to the mix. So we do lunch and learns on, well, here's where people start the conversation. Here's how they talk with our marketing systems. Here's when, you know, I just mentioned to you, they do all these demos and here's involved. And then they, people have more exposure to what's happening there. So it, again, it's all over the map and it's, it happens so frequent here. I mean, it's hard to isolate just one issue because it happens all the time. But that's the whole part of feedback and agility, right? Like just moving on the feedback. And too often companies do that once a year and you know, someone's sitting there for 364 days saying, no one gives a shit what I think, right? And that's a problem. So we try to make it more frequent. Um, importantly, we can't fix everything. Right? Like there's going to be things where we can say, listen, we just can't do that. And it's better to say that than ignore it. Mm-hmm. Right? So at the end of the day, right, if they know the why, that's really impactful as well. And 
in, in terms of being very innovative and like building all these processes, I find that for me, at least personally, like the more books or literature or learnings in general that I have on various past innovative companies, it allows you to be more creative of your own processes. Like there's companies like Zappos and Netflix and Google and like Basecamp, and they all have, they're all unique, I think, in their own way. Um, although they have the core focus of being innovative with their people processes and a focus on culture. I'm sure you've, you know, you've studied extensively about all these different kinds of businesses, but right now, is there a particular leader or company that you find yourself gravitating quite frequently towards in terms of like thinking in terms of, hmm, this company did this way. Maybe I'll try it too. Yeah, it's a good point. And one thing to mention, like you're mentioning all those companies and, and I'm coming, you're telling you what we do at Work Tango, and this is not like we didn't invent this stuff. Right? Like we're just standing on the shoulder of giants of other people that have done this. So this is just things, it's, it's more about making part of your culture than anything. Um, so, you know, I will never take credit for any of the things I just said. <laughs> just kind of, we had this, uh, this value at our old company and it was an R&D in terms of research and development. It was rip off and duplicate. Like what's working for someone else? They've already done the research. Let's just figure it out on our side. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of a company and, you know, maybe, maybe it's because um, Alf, um, Alfred Lin, who was from one of the founders of Zappos, sat on our board at our last company. I've always just had this like more intimate connection with Zappos and what they've done in terms from a people standpoint. And, and their whole focus was, I don't care if we're delivering shoes, which then turned into any product that then turned into a you know billion plus you know acquisition from Amazon, was it was all about delivering happiness. Like that was the concept. And I think that's one that I always kind of gravitate to. Like if our if I can deliver engaged and happiness to our employees, that can then in turn turn to our customers. Now we're gonna, you know, we're gonna grow and be successful. Um, so that's one that's always in the back of my mind. Yeah, I, I recently bought the book "Delivering Happiness." I think it arrived a few weeks ago before nice. I flew over to Vancouver. But yeah, like I've I've been a big fan um, of Tony Shea's like interviews. Yeah. So I constantly watched it and I decided, all right, I think I've watched enough of his talks now. I'll, I'll buy the book. <laughs> I don't know if anyone <laughs> like. Budget. Like, I don't know if they do this anymore, but in Vegas, they do their, uh, you can just go on tours of their office. Yeah, I heard. And it's, uh, it's really cool. It's a great experience. Uh, I mean, so many years ago I did it, but um, if anyone's in Vegas, check it out. Yeah, maybe. I think after I, re- I read the book, I'll probably, maybe, maybe I'll, uh, I'll reach out and see like if, if they're still doing that or if they're open to doing that again. Yeah. And so as we kind of wrap up on this kind of final leg of our interview, some uh, common questions I like to ask my guests are, well, I'm going to switch this one up a little bit for you uh, specifically. <laughs> oh, no. I'm very curious. is Because you, you come into this kind of HR tech world with a different background, someone who hasn't spent like 20 years in HR per se. Is there, is there a particular thing that you find that you think differently from the traditional kind of HR industry about like something where you have a different opinion than the conventional wisdom inside the typical HR tech world? Yeah, and I don't think it's like a fault of their own, but HR grew up from the finance world. They reported to the CFO. They typically looked at the world in years and in quarters, right? That's the way we put up financial statements, etc. And But in this agile world, we don't look at our financials quarterly or annually. We don't you know, uh, we don't talk to our customers that infrequently, yet a lot of the HR practices, everything from rewards and recognition to performance management to the engagement survey, like all these are annual practices that 
aren't making any impact in today's modern workforce with the modern employee that has higher expectations, they're more consumer thinking, etc. And I think it's just a shift of mindset to kind of like the, what I always call the consumerization of HR. Like what are companies doing for their customers? How do they approach it from a sales and marketing standpoint? Everything from engaging them, understanding what they're going to do next and knowing their sentiment, loyalty programs to keep your customers. Like what are you doing at a customer level? The same concepts and data can be used at an employee side. So to answer your question, I think it's just getting out of the compliance of you know, we have to do all these things from an HR policy standpoint, and we can only do them once a year, to what do our employees really want? So it's a huge shift of, of focus. And you know what? It's not an abnormal shift, right? 30 years ago, it was all about supplier relationships. It's like, how do we know more about our suppliers and what they're going to do and predict what they're going to do next and better systems and technology to speak to them and be responsive? And then it turned into CRM with Salesforce. How do we know our customers better and track everything and predict it better and provide better services so they never leave? And then marketing automation. And then now it's like employee relationship management. And that's why you're seeing there's no, and everyone, if everyone thinks it's a fad, I mean, there was more investment in HR technology in the last three years than the last 20 combined. So I think it's, you know, the mindset needs to shift to this new world. And it's just like the companies today that, I mean, companies weren't on the S&P 500 five years ago that are now, right? You can't continue to do the things that you're doing, right? RIM and Blockbuster, all in our lifetime, right? There's a lot of companies that will end up there if they don't change. And HR just needs to start shifting that. What they did before isn't going to work today. And on the topic of the shift from the past to the future, if we can take it back to the past and if you were to imagine the maybe like the 20 year old rob <laughs> which is only like five years ago right right, right. exactly, exactly. <laughs> he's maybe probably like the third year fourth year in Ryerson who uh who's not looking at what you're doing right now running work tango what do you think that uh rob's emotional reaction would be what would the young rob yeah. think about now yeah oh my gosh um you know, I think, I mean, I think he would be pretty proud. He'd say, like, listen, Nick, you, you didn't take the normal route. Um, I think he'd think you're a little crazy not taking the normal route. Um, and, you know, I think it's just about, again, it's, it's the things that you're, I'd be happy that I'm still doing something I'm passionate about, right? Like, it's, even at a, you know, a 20-year-old in university, People thought it was weird, like, oh, you spent so much time with your, like, family events and all these things you do with your family and, like, even living at home. And people are like, that's weird and crazy, but that was stuff that was passionate to me. Like, I cared about them. We had great times together. It wasn't a pain being together with your, you know, your parents and your cousins and all that. And, like, you look back, like, new Rob, and I'm like, I'm so glad I did that stuff. So I think because I was still passionate about that and I don't care what anyone else said about it, it's kind of similar today, right? Like, it's... You know, it, yeah, it's not the easy route and people are going to tell you there's a, an easier way or a better way to do things. But yeah, I, I, you know, I think I'd be okay with it. <laughs> Is there an advice that you wish you could have gotten at that young age that you want to give? I, I mean, I wish I went down the entrepreneurial route sooner. Um, I maybe got a little lucky following into a company that allowed me to be entrepreneurial without a lot of the risk. Um, but... 
Yeah, I mean, I think I would have started to do some more things probably for the community. What I mean by that is I left Ryerson and didn't step back in that room, in that building. There's more buildings when I came back um, for 15 years. Um, and when I moved back to Toronto two years ago, I started actually going to speak with the students, giving back to that community. Um, and when I was going to university, I was living at home. I never spent a, a day on the campus. I didn't live that life. I never like gave back to the, uh, you know, to the school that I was at. And even today, you know, I do a lot of events just on my spare time for the HR community, right? It's giving back to that community. So that's maybe one piece of advice to say, what can you do better for the community? Whether it was donating your time, dollars uh, for something bigger than just, you know, your little bucket that you're in. Um, so that's probably what I'd say. Awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, that's some solid advice. I'll definitely keep, keep that in my mind <laughs> as well. Like I've, I've been going back to Waterloo to give like a few talks here and there. And so hopefully I can continue to do more of that if they, if those guys will have me, but yeah. Yeah. Like there's influential like people that were through school that like, and I was lucky I had teachers that were, you know, at that time heads of marketing at large brands. I'm like, I learned so much from them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if there's anything I could do to go back and help the career center out of Ryerson, like we try to run events there, we can free tickets to our events, they can meet other folks. Um, but those were impactful things when I was 20. Like, what can I do to create those same impactful experiences if possible? Um, you know, knowing that there's not a ton of time, um, is there any way to kind of build that, you know, build that out? Yeah. And uh, is there anything else that we didn't talk about today that you wish that um, we talked about or that you kind of want to leave the audience with? No, I mean, you know, I, I didn't know what all your questions were going to be. It was nice to like not be prepped for everything and have a real conversation. So keep that up. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, and I was true to what I said before, you know, I, I'm always open to chat with people. Um, it's you know, sometimes hard to schedule it and takes, you know, months to actually make happen. But, um, you know, again, all, if anyone was listening, you know, feel free to reach out. Like it's cool to share the stories and obviously hear other people's as well. It's amazing what one conversation can do. And the other, I guess, the other part of that is people always ask, like, how did you get here? Was it calculated, that story? I literally, the story was how I actually got to, you know, I guess early achievers was it was Sunday night. I was, I had a hockey game that got canceled. It was a huge storm, still living at home with my parents. And I went downstairs and I was like, all right, I'm sick of not working. Let me just throw my resume out and see if I can find a job just until I find that next career. So I send that out uh, and I find this little company again, which was, which was Achievers. And it said that the, uh, the, the posting for the job had expired on Friday and it was Sunday. I was like, whatever, I'll just send it. So I send it out, get a call on like Monday or Tuesday, get the job. Now that one little email, not only did, was it 10 years of my life where I probably the best experience at work than I think I'll ever have, hopefully we can supersede that at Work Tango. It brought me to three different countries where I live at, I met my co-founder at Work Tango today, right at Achievers working together. I met my girlfriend of twelve years at working at at Achievers, and it was like this one little like thing, this one active thing I did of sending a resume out changed the course of my life in more ways than I can even imagine. So it's just like take that chance, reach out to someone who's a leader and, you know, they'll be willing to have a conversation with you. If they're not reach out to the next one. Um, at the end of the day, you're going to have to do something to make that luck or to change that course. Uh, and just don't hesitate to do it. Kind of like the story I said yesterday, the coffee with that, you know, the Nancy, that woman from 
who just moved here from India, right? She's talking to all these random people. She's like, I don't like doing it. It's stressful, but she's doing it. And again, cost me nothing to listen. And who knows? One day she'll be a friend, a customer, a partner, an employee. Like, who knows? Um, so, yeah, just just go out and do it. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's worst can happen. Like I said, I can find a job. Worst can happen is nothing. And, you know, you just at least you try, though. That's an awesome place to end our interview. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with myself and my audience. Yeah. It. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun and um, I really appreciate it. And how, how can they um, reach out to you if they want to or like learn more with the company? Is it um, on your LinkedIn or? Yeah, just on LinkedIn or um, yeah, LinkedIn's probably the easiest way. Spend yeah. more time there than any of the other social sites these days. All right. Sounds good. Cool. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It Hopefully it also helped you expand your perspectives. Hopefully it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had. And maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different, maybe challenging yourself, being courageous. Who knows? But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast, and maybe even just be part of the community that I'm trying to build with the greater OMD Ventures platform, really think about being a stakeholder in the platform. And the quick way to do that is to go to my website, oldmandan.com, and go to the stakeholders page. I believe it's oldmandan.com slash stakeholder. And the link is also down below. And that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe, follow to get more updates on the free content. But at the same time, also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee. That's just how I put it. And you can buy me a coffee a month, coffee a week, or coffee every day of the year. And think about it as the way that you know, if you wanted to chat with me, you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee. Or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat, you might buy them a coffee. So I'm just think of it as I'm the service that's doing that for you. So you can just pay me in coffees. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, everything will still be free. It's just It would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that I can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees at and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it all this isn't really free and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further so your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute and so yeah just check out the website go to the stakeholders page and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder. All right, thank you.